Now, if you're, if you're new here, uh, this summer we have been systematically working through uh, the book of James, all right? So it's been kind of our summer series. James, if you don't know, is a, the little half-brother of Jesus, and he's writing this letter to scattered Christians who are being persecuted and abused, marginalized, they're being misunderstood by their culture, which I think a lot of us at least could probably relate, maybe not to the abuse or persecution part, but the the being misunderstood by our culture. And he's writing them to let them know that faith in Jesus is actually something that should be active, right? So, So yes, it is an intellectual belief in the gospel that God sent Jesus to to live a perfect life for us, and then he died to pay for our sins, and he rose again, offering us the resurrected life now and eternity. All of that is true. We should believe those things, but that's never where authentic faith stops, right? It should bleed into our everyday lives, how we interact with our spouse, our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, whatever it is. And so that's what James is trying to do, is he's trying to get us to understand our faith in Jesus is active, It should be active in your life, and if it's dead, if it's dormant, that should be a red flag for you. In fact, at New Life, we get our definition of what a disciple of Jesus is from the words of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, this will be on the screens for you, Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, right? And so we we see kind of three categories from that one statement, three elements that make up a disciple of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is someone that follows Jesus, is being transformed by Jesus, and who is living on mission with Jesus. And so if you would honestly say, hey, listen, one or two or maybe all of those components are missing in my life, in my faith journey, I think if James were here in person, he would just lovingly pull you aside and say, hey, dear brother, hey, dear, dear sister, let's talk. If these elements are missing, let's, let's have a conversation about it because I think probably one of two things is going on. Either you are a religious person who has never met Jesus And by the way, I think there are tons of people that fill churches just like this all across America who would fall into this category. People who are religious but don't have a relationship with Jesus. It's possible to profess Jesus without possessing Jesus, and James is warning us against that, right? There are a lot of people that maybe you just enjoy church, or you like the songs, or you like the funny preacher, or the funny-looking preacher, or whatever it is, and you come to church, but you really have never had a transformational encounter with the king of this universe, So that's one possibility if these elements are not present in your life. The other possibility is that you're a prodigal. I've walked that pathway. And you're the son, you're the daughter of the king who has wondered. And you're in a far distant land and you're eating pig slop. And James would say to you today, it's time to come back home, son. It's time to come back home, daughter. And so James has been telling us things throughout this letter, things like, hey, listen, we have to learn how to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. We, we have to learn how to, how to guard our tongues because our words, as we saw last week, are just windows into our hearts. We have to learn how to follow godly wisdom over worldly wisdom. We have to learn how to choose friendship with Jesus over friendship with the world because for all of us, our tendency is to try to keep one foot in both worlds, isn't it? It's my tendency. I want to be liked by my neighbors, Right? I want people to, to, to like who I am. I want to be accepted. And so I want to ke- kind of keep one foot over here in the world and keep one foot over here with Jesus and just kind of straddle the fence. And James says, no, brothers and sisters, it shouldn't be that way. The last week he taught us about uh, the trap of spiritual arrogance, right, in our words and the way that we plan our lives. So super practical stuff. If you want to get beat up, just read James over and over again. It's really hard stuff. 
And the truth of the matter is, if you've been here all summer, you know that we kind of walk out of here every week kind of beat up, bloodied, bruised up, because James holds no punches. He cares enough to give us the truth, even when it stings a little bit. Now, we're going to get into James chapter 5. That's the last chapter of this little letter. James chapter 5 will be in the first six verses this morning. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open that up or turn it on. Head for James chapter 5. And James has saved some of his strongest words and some of his harshest rebukes for today, right? And so if you've been feeling a little beat up the last few weeks, I'm sorry, today's not your day. Just go ahead and strap up the chin strap. We're going to get it one more time. Um, But but here's the reality. I'm grateful that God cares enough about our hearts that he's willing to step all over our feelings sometimes to get to our hearts. Amen? There are like four of us that are excited about that, but we're going to get it anyway. Some of y'all are about to meet Jesus. All right, James chapter five, beginning in verse one, the little half-bro of Jesus writes this. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Now, how many of you have that verse crocheted on a blanket at home? (laughs) Maybe in a frame hanging over your mantle. How many of you, that's your life verse, right? Bunch of softies here at New Life, right? Almost all biblical scholars agree that James, in this section of his letter, he's actually addressing non-Christians for the benefit of the believers that he's actually writing to. Now, this is a, this is a conversational technique that we use uh, oftentimes even in uh, our, our culture today. So, for instance, I may say to my wife, uh, in the presence of my kids, hey, babe, I, I don't know if you saw this story on the news, but there were these kids who were disobedient to their parents, and a pack of bears came out of the woods and ate them. It was tragic. Did y'all hear about that? Now, so we, we use this conversational technique even in our culture. That's what James is doing here. He's addressing one crowd in order to communicate to another crowd. But believers, followers of Jesus, are intended to eavesdrop on this conversation that James is having with these worldly unbelievers. And we, as followers of Jesus, are intended to listen and heed these warnings. Now, when James says, hey, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you, this is intense language, to be sure. It's graphic language. But it's actually, you may not know this, it's actually end times language as well. He's talking about the second return of Christ, when he will judge the living and the dead. And so we're going to unpack that in just a minute. But before we do that, let me just address one thing. For most of us, as American Christians in 2021, when we hear something in Scripture that is addressed to the rich... Most of us think, man, I get to sit this one out. This does not apply to me this week. I'm not going to be convicted this week at all. This is good for those rich folks sitting on the other side of the room, but it does not apply to me because I am not rich. If that's where you're at, let me just caution you, caution us, that as Americans in 2021, the vast majority, like 90% plus of us, would be considered wealthy by biblical standards and by modern global standards today. Now, now, let me just show you what I mean by that. The truth of the matter is that generally, most of us are very comfortable in our lives, are we not? I'm just going to guess that you got up this morning and you probably went to your refrigerator or your pantry and you had options, right? You didn't have like one loaf of bread sitting there and you're like, I guess I'm going to eat my bread today. Now, you probably like, man, I, I could have eggs, I could have some cold cereal, I could make oatmeal, I got a bagel over there, I got fruit over there. I have yogurt in the fridge. Most of us had options, and we got to choose what we are going to eat this morning when we got out of bed. And then most of us walked into our closet. Some of y'all, a walk-in closet that's basically like a bedroom for your clothes, 
and you didn't have one outfit, you had a bunch of outfits, and you probably took 15, 20, 30 minutes figuring out which of those you were gonna match together to have the perfect outfit for church today. And then most of you left your climate-controlled home and got in your climate-controlled car, and now you're sitting in a climate-controlled church, sitting in a very soft seat, sipping the coffee that you just got from the coffee bar. We love our comfort as Americans, and for most of us, it's even a God. Can we just agree that most of us have more than what we need for today? Most of us do, like 90 plus percent of us. You need to understand that that makes you historically and biblically a wealthy person. So God is talking to you. You don't get to sit this one out. So we all need to heed this warning from James chapter five this morning. Now this language of weep and howl is, as I mentioned earlier, it's end times language. It's apocalyptic language. You can find the same terminology in the book of Isaiah, Amos, the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible. And again, James is specifically talking about the return of Jesus and the day of judgment and what that day is gonna be like for those who choose and worship comfort and riches instead of Jesus. See, oftentimes people ask me, they'll say, hey, pastor, uh, do you think that we're living in, in the last times, in the last days? To which I usually answer, yes, I do. Now, I, I don't know if Jesus is coming back tonight or next week or 10 years from now or 100 years from now, but what I do know is that we are closer now than we have ever been before, and the fact that it could be tonight or tomorrow or next week should impact how we live today. And I think that's what James is really punching at here, what he's trying to get at. James, scholars believe, is actually addressing wealthy landowners in the Roman Empire who had consolidated a bunch of the wealth in that empire by oppressing the poor, many of whom were Christians, and exploiting the powerless so that they could live very lavish, luxurious lifestyles. And James just lays out a couple of charges against people who would pursue wealth over pursuing Jesus. Look at verse two. James says, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Mm, that's pleasant. You've laid up treasure in the last days. So James is gonna give us two, two money warnings here that, again, he's addressing non-Christians, but we are intended to listen in on this conversation and say, I'm gonna make sure I don't make that mistake as a follower of Jesus. Here's the first money warning from James. I think he would say to us, Christian, don't be a wealth hoarder. Don't be a wealth hoarder. Have you guys ever seen one of those TV shows about hoarders? Yeah, there's, I think there's like two or three of them out, or, or have been. I remember watching that um, for the, when it first came out a few years ago. And I remember just watching it in absolute disgust, right? Most of us watch those shows, and these people got like food in the fridge from eight years ago. There's maggots crawling all over the place. You got dirty clothes like stacked up and cat urine all over the place. And man, most of us watch that, and we think, man, what kind of sick freak lives their lives like that. And yet, most of us think nothing about hoarding financial resources in a bank account or some other sort of account. And James is saying, hey, listen, guys, as followers of Jesus, we are living in the last days, friend. Jesus is coming back. And there are thousands of people who will literally starve to death today. There are mothers who will look into their eyes of their, their child for the last time today because they don't have enough food 
or clean drinking water or access to basic medical care. There are billions of people with a B who have never one time in their lives heard a clear gospel presentation that there is a God in heaven who loves them so much that he sent his son to die for them and rescue them. And James is like, man, y'all are gonna hoard in light of everything that's going on in the world? You're gonna, as followers of Jesus, you're gonna, you're gonna hoard your wealth? James says, hey, listen, if you do that, you need to understand that on that last day, all that stuff you live for, all that money, all those clothes, all that car, that dream house, all that stuff is gonna stand up. It's a picture of a courtroom and it's gonna testify against you as you stand before the king of kings and the Lord of lords and the judge, the capital J judge. So he's saying, listen, this is, this is a serious caution. And as the wealthiest nation and the wealthiest people that have ever inhabited the face of this planet, we, more than anybody else throughout history, need to heed this warning. In fact, Jesus gives a a parable uh, in Luke chapter 12 of the rich fool. Jesus is teaching this big crowd and there's this guy who's listening and actually interrupts Jesus in in the middle of his his sermon, which is mistake number one. But he he says, hey, hey Jesus, uh, I know you're talking about the kingdom, but let me just stop you right there. Will you please tell my brother to give me more of the inheritance from our father? If you ever want to know how depraved the human heart is, sit in with a lawyer with family members after a wealthy person has died. Right? You, you'll see how sick the human heart is, how, how greedy the human heart is, right? as they tear each other apart to get this and get that and whatever else. So he says, hey, listen, uh, tell, tell my bro to give me some, some more of the inheritance. And then Jesus responds with this, and his response will be on the screens for you. Jesus says this, watch out. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then Jesus goes, let me illustrate. Let me tell you a parable. He goes, hey, guys, there was this, this rich landowner one time, and he had a, a bumper crop one year, man. It just His land produced all this stuff, and he filled all of his storage barns with his stuff, and there was still more, more stuff, more wealth, more production, and so much stuff he couldn't even sell it. And he's like, man, what am I going to do with all these material blessings, with all this wealth that God has given me? And he thought to himself, what I'm going to do, instead of giving it away and helping those in need, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tear down my current barns, and I'm going to build bigger barns so I can store more stuff for myself. And what was he doing? He was hoarding wealth. And Jesus says that guy, after he did all these things and he hoarded all this wealth for himself, laid down in his bed at night and he thought to himself, he said to himself, self, you have plenty of stuff for many years. Why don't you just relax, eat, and drink merry? Drink and be merry. And God answered and said, you fool, this very night your soul will be required of you. And Jesus closes with a sobering warning for all of us. This is how he closes the parable. He says this, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now let me just hit pause there for a a second and say, I, I don't think that God is against wealth. Right, scripture is full of wealthy people who leveraged that wealth for God's kingdom. You got Abraham in the Old Testament. You got King David. You got his son Solomon. You got Lydia in the New Testament. All examples of faithful saints who were wealthy and leveraged that wealth for the kingdom of God. In fact, I I, I know a handful of very wealthy believers 
that I pray consistently God would give them more wealth, that they would, he would bless them with more material blessings because they've proven that they can steward that generously with others and consistently in the kingdom of God. God isn't against wealth, but I think he does care how we obtain that wealth and what we do with it after we obtain it. So if you're new here, it's like your, fir- your first Sunday and you're wealthy and you're like, oh, dang, Chris, okay, I get it. I guess you don't like wealthy people here. No, that's, not, that's not what he's saying. If you're, if you're new here and you're wealthy, let me just say, uh, welcome. I'm glad that you're here. Two buckets on the, on the coffee bar as you exit. <laughs> Love to meet you after the service, grab lunch sometime. Love to talk. No, James is not against wealth. He, want, he does want us to understand the purpose of wealth and the dangers of wealth, right? That's what he's after. He's after our heart here. Look at verse four. He continues on. He says, behold, that's, that's kind of, listen up, watch out, watch this. The wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Underline Lord of hosts in your Bible. We're gonna come back to that in just a minute. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Now, now in those days, uh, poor people would, would, would go work. They were kind of day laborers. They would go work in the fields of the rich. And sometimes, as I understand it, the rich folks, the rich landowners wouldn't pay the poor people that were working in their fields because they knew that the poor people had no power to do anything about it. And so you went and you worked, you just slaved away sun up to sundown, and sometimes you got paid and sometimes you didn't get paid and there was nothing you could do if you were a poor person because the, pow- the, the rich and the powerful had all of the control and all of the power. So just imagine, put yourself in their shoes for a moment whom I think many of the believers that James is writing to probably would have been in this category. So put yourself in their shoes. You, you go out and you bust your hump and you work all day long and you come back home late at night and your kids, you open the door and your, your spouse, they, they look up expectantly and say, hey, do we have any food for dinner? And you gotta say, no, no, baby, no, no, no food. Well, didn't, didn't you work, dad? Yeah, I worked all day long, but they, they didn't pay me. And in that home, that night, there would be, there would be cries in that home. And, jo- and James is saying, listen, God is not deaf to those cries. He hears those cries. He sees the rich who live self-indulgent lives on the backs of the oppressed and the poor. He sees and he will act on their behalf. And so that's the first warning that we get from James. Don't be a wealth hoarder. Here's the second warning that we get. Believer, don't get rich at the expense of others. And don't we live in a culture, especially the business culture, that almost demands kind of a cutthroat, stab other people in the back to climb the ladder and to obtain success and wealth? And James is saying, hey, believer, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't climb on the backs of the poor and the oppressed. Instead, man, get off the ladder. Feed them. Clothe them. Tell them there's a God who sees their plight and hears their cries. And if that keeps you from climbing the corporate ladder of success and obtaining wealth and fame in this life, so be it. As we saw last week, James says, this life is but a vapor. It's here for a moment and then it's gone. But Jesus lasts forever. It's not worth it. 
I love the way uh, Charles Spurgeon, the great uh, preacher of old, put it. This will be on the screens for you. Spurgeon wrote this. He who gets money without Christ is a beggar still. I love the way that Spurgeon can take a whole block of scripture and just make one little pithy comment and just drive it a stake right into your heart. He who gets money without Christ is a beggar still. He's saying, listen, don't, don't get stuff by defrauding others. Don't climb the corporate ladder on other people's back. In fact, here's the warning in verse five. Look at five. He says this, you have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Now, in those days, uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a farmer or cattle rancher, but in those days, as I understand it, I suppose even today, I understand that when a feast was coming up, when they were going to have a big party, they would, uh, they would take one of the cows, one of the bulls, one of the calves, away from the herd, and they would put it in a separate fence or a separate field that was uh, lush with grass. And so that cow could just feast on all of the grass there, and they would even bring in extra grain, and so it would be getting extra grain, and it's got its own private lush field to eat out of, and, and it's just like this really amazing situation for this cow for a short period of time. Now, now imagine if you were one of the other cows watching this happen. They're like, this is not fair. <laughs> like, how, how, come, how come he gets the special field? <laughs> How, how come he gets all the, all the extra grain, man? Look how, look how chubby he's getting over there, just kind of living the life. I'm over here looking like a sack of bones, man, chewing on this nasty hay. Man, this is messed up. All the while not realizing that they're about to be a ribeye on somebody else's plate. Being fattened for the day of judgment. And isn't this a good reminder for us, friends? How often do we look at people in the world, whether it's Hollywood or the business world. We look at the Jeff Bezos and the, the Bill Gates and the movie stars and the athletes and the country singers and all this other kind of stuff. We think, man, I, I wish I had just a fraction of what they have. Man, I, I, I wish I had that kind of wealth. I wish I could take those kind of vacations. I wish I could live in that kind of house or drive that kind of car. Never mind the fact that almost any time we get a peek behind the curtain of these people's lives, they tend to be some of the most jacked up, dysfunctional, unhappy people on the planet. But we still think, even though we know that, man, I'd like to give it a try. Don't we? I've thought that a bunch of times. I know wealth at that level tends to wreck like 99% of people's lives, but I'd like to give it a go. I bet I'd be in the 1%, right? We, we kind of think, think this way, right? I'd like to give it a try, right? We are like that envious cow watching the fattened cow about to be barbecued thinking, I wish I was them. And James is saying, no, you don't. No, you don't. God has given you precisely what you need and what you can handle at this phase and season of your life. I like the way the Apostle Paul, writing to a young pastor named Timothy in the New Testament, uh, puts it, this will be on the screens for you. Paul writes to Timothy, says this, but godliness with contentment, underline contentment, that's the key word, is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. How many of us could pray that prayer right there? If I have food for today, if I have clothing for today, I will be content with that. Most of us would be angry with God if that's all we had. We would feel abandoned by God, betrayed by God, and kind of reminded of when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. Do you remember how he taught them how to pray? Give us this day our, our monthly bread, our yearly bread, our five-year plan bread, our 30-year retirement bread. No, none of that. 
Give us today our daily bread. Verse nine, Paul continues. He says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Believer, we should learn to be content and certainly never to chase wealth at the expense of other people. Jesus himself, did he not model this for us perfectly, right? He left the riches of heaven. He was born into poverty so that he might bring healing and hope and restoration, salvation for the needy. That's, by the way, that's you, that's me, that's all of us. And so let me just, let me just close by giving you three practical applications from this really uh, challenging text from James. Here's practical application number one. Wealth is a poor functional savior. It's a poor functional savior. And understand this, anything that we place ahead of Jesus is a functional savior. It doesn't have to be wealth. For some of you, I guarantee you, it's a, it's a job, it's a, it's a career, it's a relationship with a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a spouse, whatever it is, but certainly for a lot of us, particularly as Americans, for a lot of us, it's money. And James is warning us, hey, listen, don't, don't chase wealth. Don't chase wealth, chase Jesus. And that brings, uh, to, at least to my mind, the words of Jesus in Matthew 6. This will also be on the screens for you where Jesus said this, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures where? In heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then verse 21, maybe one of the most important verses in the entire scriptures, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Mm. So if you think for a moment that wealth is gonna fix that thing that is broken inside of you, if you think for one second that money or possessions or that dream house or that dream car, that dream boyfriend, that dream girl, whatever, if you think that's gonna fix that void inside of your life and your heart, what you're gonna find is that wealth is a lover who will betray you over and over again. I want you to just think about this for a moment. Everything you own, just, just picture in your mind everything that you own, maybe the most important possessions you have. For you, maybe it's a house, maybe it's a car, maybe it's uh, shoes, an iPhone, iPad, I don't know, whatever it is, electronics, whatever you're into. Just picture all that you own, everything that you prize, everything that you possess. Just think about this. Everything that you own, 100 years from now, will either belong to somebody else or will be rotting in a landfill. Everything that you own, 100 years from now, it's gonna belong to somebody else or be rotting. It's garbage, it's rubbish. Wealth is a weak, weak functional savior. And James is pleading with you Please, brother, please, sister, find your identity and find your security in Jesus. All this other stuff is gonna fail you again and again and again, but Jesus will never fail you. Now, here's the second practical application. Number two, the wicked will never evade the king. The wicked will never evade the king. Look back at verse four. James says this, behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Now, the Lord of hosts, that terminology can also be translated the master of armies. Now, this is the idea of Jesus returning, this time not as a helpless babe in a manger, but as the righteous warrior king and judge. 
In fact, in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, chapter 19, John gets this vision of the return of Jesus. And I just want to share this with you. And listen, if if your theology of Jesus, if your picture of Jesus is that he's this really frail, weak, kind of Mother Teresa looking with a beard dude holding and petting a lamb, this is going to mess with your theology. Here it is. John says, I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's not coming back as a helpless baby in a manger, friend. He's coming back as ruler, just king. And he's coming back to exact justice on the wicked. And it seems to many of us, at least it seems like to me, does it seem like to anybody else that it seems like so often evil is triumphing over good, right? You turn on the news and you're like, God, what are you doing? What is happening? Why are you letting the the wicked advance in this world? And why are you allowing the the godly to be crushed? And it seems like so often that, that evil is winning out and good is being defeated. And it may even feel like to you that person that sinned against you, that person who abused you, man, that they got away with it. But James is reminding us, oh, no, 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 dear friend. God sees and God hears and all evil and all wickedness and all injustice will one day be finally dealt with and defeated by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And here's the last application that I think James would give us and then we're done. Number three, Jesus will rescue his oppressed kids. Jesus is coming back and he's coming to rescue his oppressed kids. Listen, Paul said in Galatians, God will not be mocked. In fact, in verse seven, we'll get into this uh, a little bit deeper next week. James says to these believers, hey, y'all, be patient. Be patient. I I know that you're suffering right now. I know that you're being oppressed by the the wealthy, the wicked, those that hate God. I I know it looks like they're getting away with it, but you gotta know that Jesus is coming back. That your day of rescue is right on the horizon, so don't you give up now. You wait patiently for your king. He has not forgotten about you. He has not been blinded to your pain. He has not been deaf to your cries. He's coming for you, believer. And when he gets here, amen, he's gonna right all wrongs. He's gonna correct all injustice. He's gonna wipe away every tear. He's gonna restore all that was lost. And on that day, it will have all been worth it. Every tear, every sleepless night, every struggle, every sacrifice for King Jesus will fade away into eternal glory as we worship the name that stands above every other name, the name of our victorious king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so let me just say, listen, if you're here today and you're in that category where you've been oppressed, and you just feel beaten down by life and you've been abused and people have taken advantage of you and you feel like you've been abandoned or forgotten, I want you to know God sees you. He hears your cries. He is for you. He is not against you. I want you to know that. 
And if you're here, and you'd have to be honest, I think all of us have probably been in this category at some point in our life where you've been the oppressor. You've been the abuser. You've been the one that have used other people for your gain, whether it's financial or physical or something else. You've abused other people. I want you to know God offers you forgiveness and freedom and cleansing today. And think about the story in the Gospels of Zacchaeus, right? This greedy little punk. And he meets Jesus, and he has his life flipped upside down by the Messiah, and he goes to Jesus. He's like, Jesus, listen, I'm going to pay back fourfold Everything that I've ever taken wrongly from somebody else, I'm gonna pay it back fourfold. Jesus revolutionized that guy's life. He was never the same. So it's never too late for you. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter how sinful you've been or oppressive you've been or how much you've wounded other people. He still extends to you grace today. Reach out and grab a hold of him today if that's you, friend. And if you're here and you're following Jesus, man, and you're doing your best and you're stewarding your life and your resources and your money and your spiritual gifts the best you can to advance the kingdom of Jesus, let me just say, good job. Good job. Keep, keep going. What you're doing matters. It counts in the kingdom of Jesus. It's, it's, not, for, for, it's not all gonna be lost. And if that's you, man, keep, keep going, but we have more work to do. We have more ground to take against the kingdom of darkness. But listen, it will all have been worth it on that last day when we see our Savior face to face. Amen? Let's pray and then we're going to worship our Savior. God, we, we come to you as broken and perfect people. As people that don't have it all figured out. And we need you. We need the guidance of your word. We need the leading of your spirit in our lives, God. And so would you help us leverage our whole lives, our our time, our resources, our talent, our money. Would you help us leverage all of those things for your fame and your glory, not for our selfish wants and desires, God? Would you continually remind us that the bait our culture sets before us is a lie, that wealth is a poor functional savior. It will never fulfill us. It will never save us. It can never satisfy us. All of that can only be found in your son, Jesus. God, so would you help us if we're suffering, if we're downtrodden, if we're feeling defeated today, would you teach us, would you teach our hearts to be patient, to keep our eyes on the horizon because the king of kings and the Lord of lords is coming back and when he gets back, he's gonna make everything right and he's gonna wipe away our tears and he's gonna make everything sad come untrue, God. And so until that day, would you help us press into you, to lean into you, to rely on you instead of anything else in this world and on that last day when we see you face to face, Face, all of it will have been worth it. And we ask and we pray all of these things in the powerful and the beautiful name of Jesus, your son, our savior, amen. Church, let's stand, let's worship.